beautiful passage of encouragement that is. Good morning, my name is Nathaniel. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, I'm part of the team here at BPCC. And today I get to unpack this beautiful passage from Isaiah 35. But first I have a question for you. I'm wondering, what is the most impressive, stunning, beautiful even restoration that you have seen? What's a restoration you've seen that, made, that has made you go, wow? I know there's a lot of TV shows around, uh, like home renovation shows. Uh, maybe you're one of the people who likes watching a home reno show. I've only appreciated them since I did my own home reno, and now I look at them and go, oh, people do crazy things. Um, kids, are you, maybe your dads get into, into car renovation shows. My, my dad loved, loves car restorations. He'd always be watching these shows of taking these rusty old things and turning them into something new and shiny and, and fast. Or maybe it's a personal fitness transformation, like all the ads I keep getting on Facebook. I don't know if they're trying to tell me something or... Yeah. Anyway, um, a couple of things come to mind for me. Uh, last year, I did a right journey project with young Kyan, and we, we restored a go-kart, rusty frame, painted it, didn't quite get the motor on, but it was a great project, cool restoration. Um, what really stands out to me is, uh, I don't know if you've experien experienced this too, is walking through a bushland a couple of years after a bushfire has torn through. Um, do you know that experience? A bushfire comes through, everything is devastated, black, um, it's, it's lifeless. And then you go back a few years later and greenery has overtaken it. The old stumps have, have fresh vines going over them, trees are shooting up again. It's, it's beautiful, that restoration. Well, today, we're looking at the greatest restoration of all time. Isaiah 35 points us forward to the restoration, not just of part of the world or of a car or a house, but the restoration of the entire universe, a restoration which fixes the very fabric of existence. This is a vision which shows this dry desert of a world being renewed, being transformed as God's people are reunited with their Saviour. It's a vision which strengthens and encourages those of us who know and follow and love Jesus with the encouragement of the restoration that he has begun and which he will complete. And it's a vision for those of us who aren't sure yet about following Jesus, a vision which shows us a clear snapshot of what Christian hope is all about. If you haven't been around for the last month or so, we've been in a series on the book of Isaiah, Isaiah was a fellow who lived almost 3,000 years ago. He delivered God's message to God's people. And so far, that message hasn't been great. Isaiah has been preparing the people for the conquest and exile which was about to come at the hands of foreign powers. And this was going to happen because those people had continuously rejected God, strayed from God, abandoned God. But... He's encouraging them with the promise that not only will God bring them back to their land and, and restore them as a people, but that God will send a saviour, a king, who will fix their hearts. And not only their hearts, but will fix the problem of sin, which is in all people, who will restore all nations, and not just the people, but who will restore the broken world that they live in. Last week, we heard from Adam about how Jesus is this promised king. He is the one, the only one, who is perfectly qualified and able to bring about this restoration. He's the only one who can claim to be the saviour. He's the only one who can fix the true problem that is in the world. 
And this week, we see a vision of what his kingdom will be like when it comes into this world. What it will be like for those who are a part of it. And the glimpses that we see now as we live in the first parts of that kingdom. Now, our passage today leaps forward a bit in Isaiah from where we were last week, and it comes at the end of a section which is all about contrasting, contrasting human schemes with God's wisdom and showing how worthwhile it is to trust in God, to trust in God's wisdom over human schemes. Now, those previous passages uh, right before this one, they're full of judgment. First, judgment on the, on the leaders of Israel, God's people, and then judgment on the nations around Judgment on God's people for rejecting him and judgment on the people around for assaulting God's people and for worshipping idols above God. And that passage sort of finishes leaving a description of the world as, as like a barren wasteland. But along comes chapter 35, a vision of this renewal and restoration which God is going to bring to all these lands as he brings them to life and creates a way for his people to come to his holy city. This is a a vision of of a restoration which will fix the very nature of the universe, a restoration which can never be destroyed, which can never be taken away. And today, we're going to spend a little while exploring this prophecy. We'll see how it it is given in, in three key sections, three key promises which encourages us. The first one shows us the restoration. Second, it then shows us the rivers. And then finally, it shows us the redeemed. We'll begin there in verses 1 to 4 with the restoration. And as we do, I'd like us to, to picture that, that desert wilderness. I wonder if you've ever been to a desert wilderness. Uh, maybe you've been to Outback Australia. Uh, maybe you've been to the Namib Desert in, in southern Africa. Uh, perhaps you've been to the Sahara. Uh, maybe you haven't been to a desert wilderness, but you can, you can visualize one. In the Near East, where Israel is located, where, where this is written, there is a particularly, particularly difficult, particularly dangerous, harsh type of desert wilderness. I had the privilege of, of going there in 2019, and experiencing this just took my breath away, really. I was, I was struck by how desolate this desert land is. This is some photos I took of it. It's, it's dry, it's barren, it's rocky, it's sandy, very, very little rainfall, um, there's not really too much wildlife. They, you see the occasional scrubby, scrubby tree there, and there might be snakes or whatnot around, but none of the wildlife there is friendly. Wouldn't advise going there to pat cute animals. Um, in the Bible, a be- life apart from God, life, life lived separate to God, is described as being in a desert wilderness. There is life of a sort, but it is painful, difficult, often short-lived. And because of the separation caused by human sin, our whole world is like a desert wilderness. Now, that doesn't mean that there's nothing good at all. Even in a wilderness, there are small occasional things which which are good and beautiful. Uh, For example, the crocus, which is mentioned at the start of our passage there, it's uh, after a little bit of rainfall in the desert, often a crocus will, will burst forth, this little patch of beauty for a little bit, it lasts there, showing there's something, something lovely and something good to be found in the desert. But the life there isn't abundant. You know, what is normally there is straggly bushes, venomous animals, wild predators. Now, that, that comparison doesn't mean that all of creation is bad. This is still God's good creation. We live in a world which is still nourished by God's goodness. But 
what we experience now is nothing compared to the lush paradise which is visualized in our passage. The good things that we experience now, they're just glimpses of the reality which is going to come. And as we live in this dry desert wilderness of a world, we see and we experience things which fill our hearts with an aching, a longing, a desire for, for things to be better. Sometimes we see something good, a little, a little crocus of sorts in our lives, and we go, I wish that all of life was like that. Sometimes we experience things that are really difficult, and we go, this, this doesn't feel like the way that the world is meant to be. Have you, have you had those moments? You've come across something, you've had an experience, you go, this isn't right. It, it hurts. Sometimes that sickness and pain, our own or those of people we love, even the separation of death, tearing us apart from those who we, we love and we love to spend time with. We see that in injustice in the world, where, where people use their power not for good but to abuse others. And we say, that's not right. We see that in broken relationships, when, when the, our connection with those who we do care about is damaged or, or destroyed. Or perhaps in the effects in, in the world around us, as we see creation itself suffering under the weight of sin, groaning under the weight of sin. We see that in bushfires, like I mentioned earlier, or, or in the droughts that come through, the effects on the world. I'm not sure what it is for you, but I'm sure that we all know that, that deep longing to, to have something, to undo something, to, to see more of something, or to, or to have the bad bits taken away. Underneath that is an Underneath that aching is a brokenness, a deep yearning which nothing is ever really quite able to fill. There's only one thing which will permanently be able to fill and heal and satisfy our aching dry hearts. And that is the overflowing abundance of a restored life with God. Beneath all of it, that is what our souls ultimately yearn for, to have a world which is all the beautiful crocus and, and none of the dry desert. And this passage points us towards that, the restoration of our world and the restoration of ourselves, a future when that dry desert will bloom, when Jesus will return and complete a work which he has already begun in us. So this passage encourages us, it gives us this beautiful vision, and then it says these words of encouragement, it says, strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way, say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. When we're discouraged by the difficulties of the desert, we can, we can look to Jesus, we can be encouraged because our God will come to save us. Those difficult, challenging parts of life, they aren't here to stay. God will fix them. The injustices, the hurts, the pains. When other people are, are, are struggling, other, other people who have this hope in Jesus are losing sight of that. We, we can encourage one another with the reality that God will come. Our Savior will come. He will bring justice. He will overthrow oppression. He will destroy death itself. He will wipe away every tear. Jesus has already been. Jesus has begun this work and he will complete it. When I was looking at this and, and dwelling on these words of encouragement, I was actually reminded uh, through listening to it in one of my playlists of one of my favorite songs. Uh, it's called Almost Home 
by, by a band called Mercy Me, and I'd love to share a part of it with you. I won't sing it, I promise. I'll read the, the lyrics here, because um, I find them really comforting. They reflect this truth. They say, are you disappointed? Are you desperate for help? You know what it's like to be tired and only a shell of yourself. Well, you start to believe you don't have what it takes because it's all that you can do just to move, much less finish the race. But don't forget what lies ahead. Almost home. Brother, it won't be long. Soon all of your burdens will be gone. With all of your strength, sister, run wild, run free. Hold up your head. Keep pressing on. We are almost home. Isn't that a beautiful vision of encouragement? We see in our passage this, this restoration as Jesus is, is already begun to transform this world into our eternal home and this promise that he will complete that. Is that maybe an encouragement that you need? Or perhaps is there someone in your life who you know has, has heard and accepted these promises before but needs to be reminded of them, encouraged about them? Or perhaps is there someone who doesn't know these promises, who hasn't placed their trust in Jesus, who desperately needs to hear this message of hope that we have in him? The good news of Jesus is that this restoration, this transformation, it's already begun to take place because rivers of living water have begun to burst forth in the desert. Along with this imagery of restoration, this prophecy encourages God's people to remain strong, remain strong as we just heard, because there will be these rivers of living water, because your God will come to save you. But when Isaiah heard those words from God and gave them to God's people, that was about 700 BC, and for 700 long years, God didn't come. God didn't appear to save his people. They were brought into exile, and they were brought back, and then they built their kingdom up, and they were crushed again, and, and there were trials, and there were difficulties, and they were waiting for this promised king. Until, about 700 years later, a man came out of the desert. There was a voice, a man called John, and he was living out in the wilderness, that same wilderness we saw just earlier, living off the very scarce provision that you can get there, locusts and, and wild honey. And he was calling people to turn back to God. And when he was asked who he was, this is what John said. John replied in the words of Isaiah, the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. John was announcing, declaring to God's people that finally God had come into the world as a human, as a man, Jesus, to begin that transformation of the wilderness. And with his arrival, what Isaiah had prophesied so long before began to take place. Verses 5 and 6 in Isaiah 35, let me share those with you again. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue will shout for joy. And all of this happened. All of these things were done by Jesus. If you flick through the Gospels, those are the first four books of the New Testament. They talk about the life of Jesus. They're full of the accounts of how Jesus made the blind see. He made the deaf hear. He made the lame leap. The mute shouted for joy because he gave them the ability to speak again. In fact, in, in Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist, that, that voice in the wilderness, he was about to be executed. And so he sends messages to check whether Jesus really was the one who was prophesied about. You know, if he's going to die for the cause, he wants to be pretty sure about it. And we read, 
Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you see and what you hear. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Alongside these physical miracles is what they were pointing to, the far greater spiritual miracle of healing for our spiritually dry world. Isaiah keeps on returning to this imagery of wilderness, and he talks there about springs of water bursting forth. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, you probably, there's probably some bells ringing. Jesus, water, there's, there's other points in the Bible where it talks about that. Further along in John's Gospel, Jesus is having a conversation with a Samaritan woman. Uh, Samaria's different group, people group, and they're standing by a well there, a real physical well. Uh, and, and as they're standing there, Jesus says this. He says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give them will become in them a spring of living water welling up to eternal life. These springs of living water, they've already begun to burst forth in our desert wilderness, even in our own hearts. If we're a follower of Jesus, that living water that he gives is in our hearts. They bring spiritual life. They bring nourishment. They haven't fully restored this broken world yet, but we see glimpses of this starting to take place. Now, I want to pause for a moment Close your eyes if you, if you need to. I want you to imagine that you see a dry desert wilderness. I want you to imagine that you see a spring of water burst forth in that wilderness. A spring and, and, and it starts nourishing the, the dirt around it and, and it becomes fertile and, and trees start popping up. Maybe palm trees start popping up and it's a beautiful place of rest and restoration in the desert. What would you call that place? You would call an oasis, wouldn't you? This is part of the reason why we're changing our church name to Oasis, not because we're changing anything about the church itself, not because we're becoming a, a different church, but because this is what we see our purposes being. We are to be an oasis in the desert. We are to share with people that the living water which only Jesus can provide, that living water which he has placed in our hearts, which he has placed in our communities. We want everyone to join us at, at this oasis so that we can help more people find life in Jesus. The reason why Jesus came to earth is to make a way for us to be restored and to be returned to, to right relationship with our God. And there will be a day when Jesus is going to return. He's going to bring complete restoration to his people and his creation. We won't just be an oasis in a, in a dry desert. The entire world will be restored, will be, will be vibrant, will be full of life. This restoration has already begun, and Jesus invites you to be a part of it. There is a way to be restored to right relationship with God. And that way is described as the way of holiness in our passage. And that brings us to the, the final section there, the redeemed. We read in verses 8 to 10, let me remind you of them, and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there. Those whom the Lord has rescued 
will return. This is the way which Jesus has established for us, the way which leads back to restored relationship with God, a way which we would never have been able to make ourselves. We see that this highway of holiness, it's a place of protection for God's people, provides for them all that, all that they need to follow him, to, to reach the end of their journey. And only those whom the Lord has rescued will return. That is the incredible good news of Jesus. It didn't say only those who manage to find the way will return, or those who stumble across it, or those who work hard enough at seeking the way will return. Only those whom the Lord has rescued will return. That's the good news of Jesus, that we don't need to live a holy life to be saved. We don't need to tick a number of boxes before God sets us on that path. Instead, we can live holy lives because God does save us. We can claim that simply through faith in Jesus. God wasn't required to save us. After all, it's human sin which broke the world. He has no obligation to fix us and it. He could have just washed his, whole, his hands of the, of the whole matter. But instead, God decided to heal and restore this world. Instead of breaking us, he decided to break himself so that we could be fixed. As Jesus, God the Son, came to take the punishment which we deserve so that we could be made right with him. And Jesus then sets us free from our failures, from our, from our life in this, in this desert wasteland. That incredible love that he has shown then motivates us to live a life which displays that to others. Once we've received that, once we've claimed that, we want to show that life. We want to give that, that living water to other people as well. And so we want to live a life which shows the powerful transformation which he works in us. And when we do that, we create a community which begins to look and feel like Jesus, which stands out to the spiritually dry world around us as a fresh, lush, green, welcoming oasis. Oasis in the desert, sustained by the living water of Jesus, which then points people to that way of holiness, the only way that they can know Jesus, that one which he has established, which he puts us on. It's no coincidence, by the way, that the early church, the first name that they picked for themselves was the way. Because they recognized that finally in Jesus, they had found this highway of holiness, this way to be restored to God. But that way is not an end in itself. It's leading somewhere. It is leading to God's city. And as we look at this desert wasteland of the world with oases and with patches of beauty, these are only brief glimpses of that incomparable beauty which will fill all of creation when God brings his city onto earth, when he restores it, when he dwells with his people. And this transformation of the world, that's not going to be a slow and gradual process. It's not going to be a matter of, of churches growing and growing and growing until eventually we manage to fill the whole world with God's goodness. No, it will be a sudden, complete transformation when Jesus returns. When this vision of Isaiah 35 is fully realized, waters suddenly bursting forth, streams appearing in the desert. Scraggly desert grass, the, the dens of wild jackals transformed into reeds and rushes. We look forward to that, that day and to what comes after it. Because that day is not the end of history. That's the finish line of our race. It's when we will see striving against the, the broken pain of the world, but it is the beginning of eternity, 
an eternity spent together with our Savior and with each other, an eternity spent glorifying God, enjoying Him forever, doing what we were made to do. And the picture which Isaiah 35 paints of this, of this restored creation is truly refreshing. We see God's people entering God's city of Zion, singing praises to Him there in verse 10. Now, Zion, that, that is a name which is used for the hill which Jerusalem is built on. That's, that's the physical Zion. But through the Bible, this word Zion is used to describe the place where God dwells with His people, walking among them. And we see God's people entering Zion with everlasting joy crowning their heads, a joy in Jesus which, which we have now, which will be complete and fulfilled then, which will last forever. And when Jesus returns and transforms this world, all of us who have placed our faith in Him will be reunited at that restoration. This um, is, is pointed forwards to in, in Isaiah, and then we get a clear picture of it happening in Revelation 21. It describes the moment of Jesus' return, and it uses this same imagery of, of water of life, nourishing this, this new creation. We read in Revelation 21, He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Does that vision, does that promise, does that future fill your heart with a joyful hope? If your trust is already in Jesus, do you yearn for the day when Jesus will return? when He will fulfill that promise, when this whole world will be made new, where we will live the way that we were were designed to be, with God, with each other. I'm keen for that. I'm looking forward to that. Sometimes I lose sight of that. Sometimes I get distracted by things that need doing or by challenges and trials and, and I forget to look to that vision. Do you do the same thing? Maybe you've thinking now, oh, I have been forgetting to to look to this vision of Jesus, to look towards that eternal restoration. But when we step back, when we regain our perspective, everything else just dims in comparison of this amazing restoration that we're looking forward to. So that each glimpse of God's goodness in this world, each little crocus, each time spent in an oasis, each glimpse of God's goodness in this world makes us long for the next. But there is a reverse side to this. Because, as our passage notes there, though there are those who won't walk on this way of holiness. Those who aren't redeemed. We, we read there, the unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. Those who the Lord has rescued will return. This way is a place for only the redeemed, those who have been made right with God through faith in Jesus. Now, I know for sure that I'm not a perfect person. As, as we've already touched on, as I hope you know, being redeemed isn't about being a great, amazing person. It's about following a great and amazing God. I need Jesus to make me pure, and I'm so glad that He has set me on that way of holiness. If you ask anyone around you, they'll probably clarify me in the, in the wicked fool sort of category sometimes. I can be a little bit irritating. So if you don't know Jesus, if you haven't yet placed your faith in Him, if 
you haven't yet acknowledged that there is a brokenness in you and in the world which we can never fix. I so, so encourage you to do that. I encourage you to, to go to God. If you want to know more about Jesus and who he is, open up one of those Gospels. The Gospel of Matthew in the Bible is a great place to start to meet Jesus, to encounter him. Speak to God about that. He's always listening. Talk to a Christian friend or maybe one of the team here at church. We would love to share with you more about who Jesus is. We would love to share with you this, this, this living water which nourishes us. We would love to show you how God can set you on that, that way of holiness, that way which is the only way to eternal life. We would love to pray with and, and for you as, as you do that. And for those of us who are Christians, we can be encouraged by this vision. And as we head into Christmas, into the Christmas festival next week and Christmas services the week after that, we have a heap of opportunities to share this good news, this living water of Jesus with people who otherwise might be totally disinterested. Is there somebody who would never come along to church on a Sunday who you could invite to come along to our Christmas festival next week? Is, is maybe there, there's someone who, who needs to be recaptured by the goodness of, of, of Jesus and his love who you could invite along to one of our Christmas Eve or Christmas Day services in, in two weeks' time. As a church, that's what we're all about. We're all about helping more people find life in Jesus. We, we can do that together. We can live this life together. We want to live that life for others to, to welcome them in. And this Christmas, we have got so many opportunities to do that. As a church a whole church through these events and individually as we speak to people in our lives, as we celebrate this greatest gift which has ever been given. Because in Jesus, fountains of living water have already begun to break forth in this desert wilderness of a world. And we can savor every little drop of that water, every little drop of God's goodness in the world around us as foretastes of eternity. Sweet and refreshing but nothing compared to the everlasting joy which we will be crowned with when Jesus returns. When we step into an eternity of a restored relationship with our God and with each other.